Chapter Forty of Mary Annerley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mary Annerley by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter Forty, Stormy Gap. Snowy weather now set in, and people were content to stay at home. Among the scours and fells and moors the most perturbed spirit was compelled to rest, or to try to do so, or at any rate not agitate his body out of doors. Lazy folk were suited well with reason good for laziness, and gentle minds that dreaded evil gladly found its communication stopped. Combined excitement and exertion, strong amazement, ardent love, and the cold of equal severity laid poor pet Carnaby by the heels and reduced him to perpetual gruel. He was shut off from the external commune, and strictly blockaded in his bedroom, where his only attendants were his sweet mother and an excellent nurse who stroked his forehead and called him dear pet till he hated her, and worst of all, that Dr. Spraggs who lived in the house because the weather was so bad. We have taken a chill, and our mind is a little unhinged, said the skillful practitioner. Careful diet, complete repose, a warm surrounding atmosphere, absence of undue excitement, and, above all, a course of my gentle alteratives regularly administered. These are the very simple means to restore our beloved patient. He is certainly making progress. But I assure you, my dear madam, or rather I need not tell a lady of such wonderfully clear perception, that remedial measures must be slow to be truly efficacious. With lower organizations we may deal in a more empiric style, but no experiments must be tried here. Dr. Spraggs, I should hope not, indeed. You alarm me by the mere suggestion. Gradation, delicately pursued, adapted subtly, discriminated nicely by the unerring diagnosis of extensive medical experience, combined with deep study of the human system and a highly distinguished university career, such, madam, are, in my humble opinion, the true elements of permanent amelioration. At the same time we must not conceal from ourselves that our constitution is by no means one of ordinary organization. None of your hedger and ditcher class, but delicate, fragile, impulsive, sensitive, liable to inopine derangements from excessive activity of mind. Oh, Dr. Spraggs, he has been reading poetry, which none of our family has ever even dreamed of doing. It is a young man over your way somewhere. Possibly you may have heard of him. That young man has a great deal to answer for. I have traced a very bad case of whooping cough to him. That explains many symptoms which I could not quite make out. We will take away this book, madam, and give him Dr. Watts, the only wholesome poet that our country has produced, though even his opinions would be better expressed in prose. But the lad, in spite of all this treatment, slowly did recover, and then obtained relief, which set him on his nimble legs again. For as Aunt Philippa, one snowy morning, went into the room beneath that desperately sick chamber, to see whether wreaths of snow had entered, as they often did, between the loose joints of the casement. She walked very carefully, for fear of making noise that might be heard above, and disturb the repose of the poor invalid. 
but to her surprise there came loud thumps from above and a quivering of the ceiling and a sound as of rushing steps and laughter and uproarious jollity what can it be i am perfectly amazed said mistress yordas to herself i must inquire into this she knew that her sister was out of the way and the nurse in the kitchen having one of her frequent feeds and agreeable discourses so she went to a mighty ring in her own room as large as an untaxed carriage wheel and from it after due difficulty took the spare key of the passage door that led the way to lancelot no sooner had she passed this door than she heard a noise a great deal worse than the worst imagination whiz and hiss and crack and smash and rolling of hollow things over hollow places varied with shouts and the flapping of skirts and jingling of money upon heart of oak these and many other travails of the air including strong language amazed the lady hastening into the sick-room she found the window wide open with the snow pouring in a dozen of file bottles ranged like skittles and some full and some empty and lancelot dancing about in his nightgown with divine songs poised for another hurl two for a full and one for an empty seven to me and four to you no cheating now or i'll knock you over he was shouting to weldrum's boy who had clearly been smuggled in at the window for this game there's plenty more in old sprague's chest Hoa! mistress yordas was not displeased with this spirited application of pharmacy she at once flung wide the passage door and pet was free of the house again but upon parole not to venture out of doors the first use he made of his liberty was to seek the faithful jordas who possessed a little private sitting-room and there hold secret counsel with him the dog-man threw his curly head back when he had listened to his young lord's tale which contained the truth and nothing but the truth yet not by any means the whole truth for the leading figure was left out and a snort from his broad nostrils showed contempt and strong vexation just what i said would come of such a job he muttered without thought of lancelot to let in a traitor and spake him fair and make much of him i wish you had knocked his two eyes out master lance instead of the only blackening in him and a fortnight lost through that pissin' sprags and the weather going on snow and thaw snow and thaw there's scarcely a dog can stand let alone a horse and wreaths getting deeper most unlucky it hath come to pass most untimely but who is sir duncan and who is mr burt i have told you everything jordas and all you do is tell me nothing what more can i tell you sir you seem to know most about em and what was it as took you down by that way sir if i may make so bold to ask jordas that is no concern of yours every gentleman has his own private affairs which cannot in any way concern a common man but i wish you particularly to find out all that can be known about mr burt what made him come here and why does he live so and how much has he got a year he seems to be quite a gentleman then his private affairs sir cannot concern a common man you had better ways go yourself and ask him or ask his friend with the two black eyes now just you do as i bid you master lance not a word of all this here to my ladies but think of something as you must have immediate from middleton something as your health requires 
Here Jordis indulged a sarcastic grin. Something as must come if the sky come down or the day of judgment was tomorrow. I know, yes, I am quite up to you, Jordis. Let me see. Last time it was a sweet bread. That would never do again. It shall be a hundred oysters, and Sprague shall command it or be turned out. Jordis, I really cannot bear, said a kind Miss Carnaby an hour afterward, that you should seem almost to risk your life by riding to Middleton in such dreadful weather. Are you sure that it will not snow again, and quite sure that you can get through all the wreaths? If not, I would on no account have you go. Perhaps, after all, it is but a fancy of a poor fantastic invalid, though Dr. Spraggs feels that it is so important, and may be the turning point of his sad illness. It seems such a long way in such weather, and selfish people who can never understand might say that it was quite unkind of us. But if you have made up your mind to go, in spite of all remonstrance, you must be sure to come back to-night, and do please to see that the oysters are round and have not got any of their lids up. The dogman knew well that he jeopardized his life in either half of the journey, no little in going and tenfold as much in returning through the snows of night, though the journey in the first place had been of his own seeking and his faithful mind was set upon it. Some little sense of bitterness was in his heart that his life was not thought more of, he made a low bow and turned away that he might not meet those eyes so full of anxiety for another and of none for him. And when he came to think of it, he was sorry afterward for indulging in a little bit of two-edged satire. Will you please to ask my lady if I may take Marmaduke, or whether she would be afeard to risk him in such weather? I think it is unkind of you to speak like that. I need not ask my sister, as you ought to know. Of course you may take Marmaduke. I need not tell you to be careful of him. After that, if he had chosen for himself, he would not have taken Marmaduke, but he thought of the importance of his real purpose and could trust no other horse to get him through it. In the fine summer weather, when the sloughs are in and watercourses low or dry and the roads firm, wherever there were any, a good horse and rider, well acquainted with the track, might go from Scargate Hall to Middleton in about three hours, nearly all the journey being well downhill. But the travel to come back was a very different thing. Four hours and a half was quick time for it. Even in the best state of earth and sky, and the royal mail pony was allowed a good seven because his speed, when first established, had now impaired his breathing and ever since the snow set in he had received his money for the journey, but preferred to stay in stable, for which everybody had praised him, finding letters give them indigestion. Now Jordis roughed Marmaduke's shoes himself, for the snow would be frozen in the colder places, and ball wherever any softness was, two things which demand very different measures. Also he fed him well and nourished himself and took nurture for the road, so that with all haste he could not manage to start before twelve of the day. Traveling was worse than he expected in the snow very deep in places, especially at Stormy Gap, about a league from Scargate. Moreover, he knew that the strength of his horse must be carefully husbanded for the return. And so it was dusk of the winter evening, and the shops of the little town were being lit with hoops of candles. 
Jordas, followed by Saracen, came trotting through the unpretending street. The ancient dog Saracen, the largest of the bloodhounds, had joined the expedition as a volunteer, craftily following and crouching out of sight until he was certain of being too far from home to be sent back again. Then he boldly appeared and cantered gaily in front of Marmaduke, with his heavy dewlaps laced with snow. Jordas put up at a quiet old inn and had Saracen chained strongly to a ring-bolt in the stable. Then he set off afoot to see Mr. Jellycourse, and just as he rang the office bell a little fleecy twinkle fell upon one of his eyelashes, and looking sharply up he saw that a snowy night was coming. The worthy lawyer received him kindly, but not at all as if he wished to see him, for Christmas tide was very nigh at hand, and the weather made the ink go thick, and only a clerk who was working for promotion would let his hat stay on the peg after the drum and fife went by, as they always did at dusk of night to frighten Bony Party. There are only two important facts in all you have told me, Jordis. Mr. Jellycourse said when he had heard him out. One, that Sir Duncan is come home, of which I was aware some time ago, and the other, that he has been consulting an agent of the name of Mordax, living in this country. That certainly looks as if he meant to take some steps against us, but what can he do more than might have been done five and twenty years ago? The lawyer took good care to speak to none but his principals concerning that plaguesome deed of appointment. "'Well, sir, you know best, no doubt, only that he hath the money now, and by all accounts, and as like enough he hath labored for it a purpose to fight my ladies. If your honor knew as well as I do what a yardus is for fighting and for downright stubbornness, perhaps I do,' replied the lawyer with a smile. But if he has no children of his own, as I believe is the case with him, it seems unlikely that he would risk his substance in a rash attempt to turn out those who are his heirs. He is not so old, but what he might have children yet, if he hath none now to hand. Anyway, it was my duty to tell you my news immediate. Jordis, I always say that you are a model of a true retainer, a character becoming almost extinct in this faithless and revolutionary age, very few men would have ridden into town through all those dangerous unmade roads and weather when even the royal mail is kept by will of the lord and stable. Well, sir, said Jordis with his brave soft smile, the truth and the rough of it comes in and out, accordin'. Some days I does next to naught, and some days I earns my keepin'. Any more commands for me, Lawyer Jelly Goose? Time cometh on rather late for starting. Jordis, you amaze me. You never mean to say that you dream of setting forth again on such a night as this is? I will find you a bed, and you shall have a hot supper. What would you ladies think of me if I let you go forth among the snow again? Just look up at the window panes while you and I were talking and the feathers of the ice shooting up inside as long as the last sheaf of quills I open for them. Quills, quills, quills all day. And when I buy a goose unplucked, if his quills are any good, his legs won't carve, and his gizzard is full of gravel stones. And the world grows every day in roguery. All the world agrees to that, sir, ever since I were as high as your table. Whenever I hear two opinions about it, and it maketh a man seem to condemn himself. 
Good night, sir, and I hope we shall have good news so soon as his royal majesty of the king affordeth the pony as can lift his legs. Mr. Jellycorse vainly strove to keep the man in town that night. He even called for his sensible wife and his excellent cook to argue, having no clerk left to make scandal of the scene. The cook had a turn of mind for Jordas, and did think that he would stop for her sake, and she took a broom to show him what the depth of snow was upon the red tiles between the brew-house and the kitchen. An icicle hung from the lip of the pump, and new snow sparkled on the cook's white cap and the dark curly hair which she managed to let fall. The brew-house smelled nice and the kitchen still nicer, but it made no difference to Jordas. If he had told them the reason of his hurry, they would have said hard things about it, perhaps. Mrs. Jellycorse especially, being well-read in the scriptures and fond of quoting them against all people who had grouse and sent her none, would have called to mind what David said when the three mighty men broke through the host and brought water from the well of Bethlehem. So Jordas only answered that he had promised to return and a trifle of snow improved the traveling. A willful man must have his way, said Mr. Jellycorse at last. We cannot put him in the pound, Diana, but the least we can do is to provide him for a coarse, cold journey. If I know anything of our country, he will never see Scargate Hall tonight, but his blanket will be a snowdrift. Give him one of our new Whitneys to go behind his saddle, and I will make him take two things. I am your legal adviser, Jordas, and you are like all other clients. Upon the main issue you cast me off, but in small matters you must obey me. The hardy dogman was touched with this unusual care for his welfare. At home his services were accepted as due, requiring little praise and less of gratitude. It was his place to do this and that and be thankful for the privilege, but his comfort was left for him to study, and if he had studied it much, reproach would have been the chief reward. It never would do, as his lady said, to make too much of Jordas. He would give himself airs and think the people could not get on without him. Marmaduke looked fresh and bold when he came out of the stable. He had eaten with pleasure a good hot dinner, or supper, perhaps, as he considered it, liking to have his meals early, as horses generally do, and he neighed and capered for the homeward road, though he knew how full it was of hardships, for never yet looked a horse through bridle without at least one eye resilient toward the charm of the headstall, and now he had both eyes fixed with legitimate aim in that direction, and what were a few tiny atoms of snow to keep a big horse from his household? Merrily, therefore, he set forth, with a sturdy rider on his back. His clear neigh rang through the thick, dull streets, and kind people came to their white, blurred windows, and exclaimed as they glanced at the party-colored horsemen rushing away into the dreary depths. Well, rather him than me, thank God. You keep the dog, Master Jordan said to the hostler before he left the yard. He's like a lamb when you come to know him. I can't be plagued with him tonight. Here's half a crown for his vittles. He eats precious little for the size of him. A bullock's liver every other day, and a pound and a half the between times. Don't be afeard of him. He looks like that to love you, man. Instead of keeping on the Durham side of tees, as he would have done in fair weather for the first six miles or so, Jordas crossed by the old town bridge to his native country. The journey would be longer thus, but easier in some places, and the track more plain to follow, which on a snowy night was everything. 
for all things were now in one indiscriminate pelt and whirl of white. The tees was striped with rustling flows among the black moor-water, and the trees, as long as there were any, bent their shrouded forms and moaned. But with laborious plunges, the broad scatterings of obstruction, the willing horse ploughed out his way, himself the while wrapped up in white and caked in all his tufty places with a crust that flopped up and down, the rider himself piled up with snow, and bearded with a berg of it, from time to time with his numb right hand fumbled at the frozen clouts that clogged the poor horse's mane and crest. "'How much longer will I go, I wonder?' said Jordas to himself for the twentieth time. "'The Lord in heaven knows where we be, but horse knows better than the Lord of most. Two hour it must be ever since attempted to make head or tail of it, but Marmaduke knoweth when a hath his head. These creatures is wiser than Christians. Save me from the witches if I ever see such weather, and I wish that Master Lance's oysters wasn't quite so much like him. For broad as his back was, perpetual thump of rugged and flintified knobs and edges through the flag basket strapped over his neck, he was beginning to tell upon his staunch but jolted spine while the foot of the northern stirrup was numbed, and threatening to get frostbitten. The Lord knoweth where we be, he said once more, growing in piety as the peril grew. What can old horse know without the Lord hath told him? And likely he hath never asked no more than I did. We might a come twelve miles, or we might a come no more than six. Whatever is there left in the world to judge by, the hills, or the hollows, or the boskies, all does one so far as the power of a man's eyes goes. Howsomever drive on, old Dookie. Old Dookie drove on with all his might and main, and the stout spirit which engenders strength, till he came to a white wall reared before him, twice as high as his snow-capped head and swirling like a billow of the sea with drift. Here he stopped short, for he had his own rein, and turned his clouded neck and asked his master what to make of it. We must have come at last a stormy gap. It might be worse, and it might be better. Rocks of both sides with no way round. No choice but to go through it, or to spend the night inside of it. You and I are pretty good weight, old Dookie. We'll even try a charge for it, before we knock under. We can't have much more smother than we've gotten already. My father was taken like this, I've heard tell, in the service of old Squire Philip, and he put his nag at it and scumbled through. But first, you get up your wind, old chap. Marmaduke seemed to know what was expected of him, for he turned round, retreated a few steps, and then stood panting. Then Jordis dismounted as well as he could with his windward leg nearly frozen, he smote himself lustily with both arms swinging upon his broad breast, and he stamped in the snow until he felt his tingling feet again. Then he took up the skirt of his thick heavy coat and wiped down the head, mane, and shoulders of the horse, and the great pile of snow upon the crupper. Star clear is a good word, he said. For a moment he stopped to consider the forlorn hope of his last resolution. About me? There is no such great matter, he thought. But if I was to kill Dookie, who would ever hear the last of it? And what a good horse he had been, to be sure. 
but if I was to leave him so, the crows would only have him. We be both in one boat. We must try of it. He said a little prayer, which was all he knew. For himself and the lass he had a liking to, who lived in a mill upon River Loon. And then he got into the saddle again, and set his teeth hard, and spoke to Marmaduke, a horse who would never be touched with a spur. Come on, old chap, was all he said. The horse looked about in the thick of the night as the head of the horse peers out of the cloak in Welsh mummery at Christmas tide. The thick of the night was light and dark, and the dense intensity of downpour, light in itself, and dark with the shutting out of all sight of everything, a close-at-hand confusion and a distance out of measure. The horse, with his wise snow-crusted eyes, took in all the winnowing of light among the draught and saw no possibility of breaking through, but resolved to spend his life as he was ordered. No power of rush or of dash could he gather, because of the sinking of his feet, and the main chance was of bulk and weight, and his rider left him free to choose. For a few steps he walked, nimbly picking up his feet, then with a canter of the best spring he could compass, hurled himself into the depth of the drift while Jordas lay flat along his neck and let him plunge. For a few yards a light snow flew before them like froth of the sea before a broad-bowed ship, and smothered as he was he fought onward for his life. But very soon the power of his charge was gone, his limbs could not rise, and his breath was taken from him. The hole that he had made was filled up behind him. Fresh volumes from the shaken height came pouring down upon him. His flanks and back were wedged fast in the cumber, and he stood still and trembled, being buried alive. Jordas, with great effort, threw himself off and put his hat before his mouth to make himself a breathing space. He scarcely knew whether he stood or lay, but he kicked about for want of air, and the more he kicked the worse it was, as in the depth of nightmare. Blindness, choking, smothering, and freezing fell in a lump upon his poor body now, and the shrieking of the horse and the panting of his struggles came by some vibration to him. But just as he began to lose his wits, sink away backward and gasp for breath, a gleam of light broke upon his closing eyes. He gathered the remnant of his strength, struck for it, and was in a space of free air. After several long pants he looked around and found that a thicket of stub oak jutting from the crag of the gap made a small alcove with billows of snow piled over it. Then the brave spirit of the man came forth. "'There's room for Dookie as well as me,' he gasped. "'With God's help I'll fetch him in.' Weary as he was, he cast himself back into the wall of snow and listened. At first he heard nothing, and made sure that all was over, but presently a faint, soft gurgle, like the dying sob, came through the murk. With all his might he dashed toward the sound, and laid hold of a hairy chin just foundering. "'Rise up, old chap!' he tried to shout, and he gave the horse a breath or two with his broad-brimmed hat above his nose. Then Marmaduke rallied for one last fight, with the surety of a man to help him. He staggered forward to the leading of the hand he knew so well, and fell upon his knees, but his head was clear, and he drew long breaths, and his heart was glad, and his eyes looked up, and he gave a feeble whinny. End of chapter 40 Recording by Keith Salas